Hi there, and welcome back to the SMB Cybercast podcast, where it's all about helping small and medium enterprises and IT professionals learn cybersecurity, improve their defenses, and prevent breaches. If you want to take the security of your organization to the next level, then this is the right place for you. Welcome, and thanks for listening. This show is sponsored by CyberX. CyberX is a cybersecurity agency that specializes in the needs of small and medium enterprises. We believe that everyone is at the risk of attack these days, and that's obvious from the increase in attacks across the board. So if your company needs help with compliance, security, managed security operations, penetration testing, vulnerability management, or any other security need, feel free to reach out to us. You can send us a message at cyberx.tech contact. That's cyberx.tech contact. All right, let's get back to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. We're super excited to be back with you guys today. Uh, today, we have a topic that is, I think, very important for all organizations, um, but I think it's particularly important for small businesses. When we talk about cybersecurity risk in small businesses, um, it's obvious that um, small businesses run at much lower profit margins, and a cyber incident has a much greater impact on a small business than it would on a large um, organization, something like uh, Facebook, for example, who has tons and tons of profit. They can um, take care of all of the costs, the hidden costs that come as part of a data breach, incident response, notification, fines if they come up, which is something that small businesses struggle with. And I think that's the reason we see statistics like most organizations, small businesses that have a breach go out of business within six months or so. Uh, it's because of that financial difficulty after a breach. Uh, I mean, if you think about an organization that gets hit with ransomware and they can't pay for it, uh, what do they do? And they've lost all their valuable data, then they're going out of business. Um, so today we have some special guests and we're going to talk about a very important topic with this. Uh, the cybersecurity risk. We're going to be talking about risk and cyber insurance and how what cyber insurance covers and um, why it's important for small businesses. So we have two special guests today. We have Tim Turner and Michael Katzman, um, who are friends of ours, who are insurance agents who deal with cyber insurance. Um, and they have some tips that they're going to share with us today about cyber insurance. Um, and choosing the right plan for your organization. So welcome, guys, and thank you for being here. Thank you, William. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us, William. Looking forward to the conversation. So before we get started, um, for our listeners, can you just give us a brief rundown of what you guys do? Yeah, thanks, William. We are, uh, we are with Main Street Insurance Group. We have four offices uh, in the Carolinas currently and looking to grow. We have two offices in the Charlotte uh, Charlotte General Area, an office in Forest City and an office in Tryon. Uh, our agency works in property and casualty insurance or in other words, um, you know, property liability, um, cyber insurance is an aspect of, of that. Um, we also do workers comp auto insurance. And then we have other divisions that handle benefits, uh, group health insurance, um, things of that nature. So Michael and myself, we work in the commercial insurance division. Um, so cyber insurance is obviously uh, key for, like you said, a lot of small businesses. 
um, as well as, uh, you know, tech and life sciences being one industry that we serve. Uh, we serve many different industries for uh, businesses and nonprofits, municipalities, public entities. Um, so that's a little bit about our agency. So before we get too far in our conversation, my opinion has been every small business should have cyber insurance just because of the risk. Is that a statement you guys would agree with? I would agree, uh, William, 100%. I think uh, cyber insurance, depending on the business and what, what they're doing, um, you know, is, is important for everybody, uh, you know, depending on the industry that they're in. It might be required contractually. Uh, however, it is of my opinion that even if it's not something that uh, you're contractually required to carry, it's something that it's prudent and smart to carry uh, based on you know, long-term planning and, and, and ensuring that you're protected in case uh, that an event happens. Uh, yeah, I guess my opinion has come from we come in to do managed security for a small business or maybe it's a penetration test or something. And they have so many weaknesses that could be exploited and they don't have a budget, frankly, to remediate all of these risks up front. It's going to take them a period of time. And so that's been my suggestion is to get cyber insurance, of course, always, but at least while you're getting these. Um, security controls and programs implemented. Yeah, I think what we, we found is, you know, we'll have the conversations with, with small business specifically and, 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 and quite honestly, backing up a little bit, I don't even think it's specifically small businesses. There's plenty of, of medium to larger size organizations that, right. that don't carry cyber insurance because they don't, A, have a contractual uh, obligation to do so, and B, they don't feel like they have data that's at risk, which both of those, um, well, the former is, is definitely usually inaccurate. So I, I don't want to make sure we're, we're picking on small businesses here. But, um, you know, typically speaking, you know, these organizations, this, they don't feel like they have the exposure there. And then they feel it's a, it's a line item on the budget that can be easily cut. Uh, most of the time when the event happens, they're, they're very sorry that they did so. Right. William, I'll chime in and say uh, to your to your question about um you know, needing insurance and, and remediation from standpoint of what you guys do. Um, insurance, I think, in general is relative to cost. And right now, what we believe in the market is that it's become quite easy and simple to purchase cyber insurance. Of course, you, you know, uh, an organization should work with someone that understands uh, kind of the X's and O's of how cyber insurance works. But it's become easier over the past several years. And the cost is relatively uh still affordable in our opinion for the value of coverage that you get, uh, which we can get more into some of those aspects, but um, definitely think it's a good buy and in, in lack of a better uh, saying there. So, I mean, especially when you look at some of the recent breaches, um, uh, was it Wisconsin or Minnesota? One of those states up there, for example, when the managed secure managed IT company got um, breached and uh, the attackers used them to spread ransomware through all 200 of their clients. When we we're starting to see more and more of incidents like this. Um, and I just think it's a risk that has to be dealt with. Absolutely. Uh, I think from Tim and I's perspective, uh, you know, what we've found is, is it's really a lack of education um, in terms of, of educating the, the, the greater client base that we work with, uh, what the landscape is and what their obligations are uh, surrounding protecting data on their systems. Um, most of the time, you know, you, you ask a potential customer what, what they feel is at risk. And they say, well, you know, our computers might be down for a little while, but other than that, it, it won't be that bad. But then you, then you back up and say, well, did you know you have a legal obligation to protect data of, of, of customers and employees? 
and and, and they kind of have a puzzled look on their face. So it, it really it really just boils down to an educational perspective uh, from our perspective, from where we sit. So before we get too far into the actual topic of insurance, let's take a step back and talk about risk. Um, be sure we're on the same page when we talk about risk and what you guys think about risk. So how would you guys describe risk? I, I think it's important to note in the insurance world, um, risk has a different meaning uh, than in, in most of the rest of you know the rest of the world we operate. And, and with insurance, it's, it's pure risk, um, meaning that there's no there's no benefit you know in terms of you know you're either gonna it's not like gambling where you're either gonna win or you're gonna lose. With insurance, it's either there's nothing happens or you lose. So there's no there's no opportunity for gain. Uh, when you're talking about risk in the insurance world. Um, and I think that's an important um, definition to make sure we clear out because when, when, when an insurance professional is talking to you about risk, you know, they're not saying, you know, you buy this policy and you might hit the lottery, you know, with it. It's, it's either you're going to have a loss that's covered or you're going to have a loss that's uncovered and you got to make the decision of the risk of what you, what you want to, what you want to take. Tim, would you add anything to that? Uh, yeah, no, I think that's great. I, I would say, uh, you know, biggest, biggest uh, perspective of risk in our mind is uh, financial burden, you know, so if whatever type of event occurs, and you're either liable for, uh, you know, an organization is liable for their clients information, or they have damage to their internal systems, what is the financial burden that, that the impact could be? And so I think uh, that's where in some of the definitions of how cyber insurance is uh, defined we get more into what some of those specifics are but from a you know big picture point of view it's just financial burden that's that's how i look at risk when it comes to cyber insurance so i'll add to that when we talk about risk from a security perspective we're typically talking about threats and vulnerabilities and we look at the vulnerabilities an organization has and the threats that they face and then the risk is the likelihood that a threat will make use of a vulnerability and cause inadvertent harm to that organization. Um, so a very clear example um, that we give a lot of times is, all right, so let's say we're talking about a building structure and um, we have a building on the East Coast and a building on the West Coast, say California, and we have the same building codes now. All right, so we have vulnerabilities, of course, in our structures and, and we're gonna look at a threat of an earthquake and the th likelihood that an earthquake is going to destroy that building is much different on the East Coast than on the West Coast. So that's kind of our analogy we give to clients for risk. In the security world, um, when we talk about risk, we, we generally talk about a few ways that risk can be handled. Um, feel free to agree, disagree, add or whatever. So we talk about the main method, uh, ways of dealing with risk are acceptance. Um, you just clearly decide to accept the risk and take it for what it is. Um, you can mitigate the risk. So when we look at cybersecurity, that's a risk mitigation. There's a risk of a data breach. So we're taking steps to mitigate that risk. We're putting in a firewall, for example. We're going to put in um, endpoint detection. We're going to put in um, analysis, um, machine learning, whatever it is to look for those threats. And those are all ways that we're mitigating that risk. Um, and one of the final ways of dealing with risk uh, that we talk about in the security world is transferring risk. And that is exactly what insurance is. I can't mitigate this risk. 
I don't want to accept it, so I'm going to transfer it to a insurance organization. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think you know at the root of it that that is definitely um, the, the 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 basis of of what insurance transactions are about. Um, you know, I think they've evolved in the in the 21st century to be a little bit more robust in in terms of the offerings that they can provide. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you're completely correct. I think you know, at the root of it, that is insurance is a risk transfer mechanism. So when an organization approaches you guys and they're looking to get cyber insurance, what are the key components that you're looking for to figure out how much of a risk they are to you guys since you're insuring them? Yeah, so I, I could take this one, Tim. Um, you know, I, honestly, my background, I came from the insurance carrier side. I have a, a career of roughly about 15 years on the insurance carrier side. who are the actual ones who are underwriting or more or less selecting risks and pricing it. So, you know, and, and being... From that side, I understand the, the underwriting methodology that goes into cyber selection. Um, and I, and I got to say that the overarching you know, theme when, when an insurance company is determining whether or not they want to take on a risk and price a risk, it has to do with the industry that they're in. Um, you know, I think that is probably the, the biggest driver. Um, if you have a, a, an industry, a, a business that's in you know, landscaping and they have very limited customer records and they have... 25 customers and they do landscaping for them, they want cyber insurance, that's going to be one hazard level. And then if you have a healthcare IT management system developer who is who's managing, you know, hospital systems and medical records and personal personally identifiable information of millions of patients, that's a whole nother um, you know, level from a from a threat perspective and from a from a risk perspective. So I would say industry is, is the driving the driving uh, <laughs> factor in ter- determining, you know, whether or not a carrier wants to take the risk, how much of a limit they're going to put up and what they're going to charge for it. And then, you know, after that, you know, once we've determined that the insurance company wants to take the risk, they are okay with the industry, then they're going to start factoring in what kind of safe controls are they having in place? Do they have, you know, all the necessary hardware and software provisions? Do they train their people um, properly in terms of how to identify, you know, threats and those are kind of the secondary or more ancillary underwriting factors, but the overarching one is the is the industry classification of it in and of itself. That's interesting. I would have thought the opposite. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I see, you know, I kind of see where you might be coming from, given you know, on your side of the business. But you know, I think insurance is is based on you know more or less the law of large numbers. Um, you know, so you insure a thousand different companies, and 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 you get an adequate amount of premium from each of them. You know, to distribute the to distribute the loss when it happens to two of them. So you know, in terms of in terms of that definition, you got to make sure you're understanding what those businesses that are comp- comprising your bucket of companies that you're insuring are. Are they all really high hazard, or are they all really low hazard, or are they a mix? And you just got to make sure you understand, you know, what your your mix is there. Um, or you're going to be in a situation where you're insuring a lot of high hazard companies for not enough money and you're not going to be able to be in business very long. William, another thing that we use in the insurance world, uh, terminology wise, is a couple things that we identify really what is the risk for an organization? Um, PII, meaning personal identifiable information. Uh, PCI, personal credit information, or PHI, personal health information. Do you guys use those terms and on your side? Uh... Correct. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's that's kind of how 
insurance companies look at the risk too, is what is your exposure to those things? You know, an organization that has a ton of records, uh, you know, in their system uh, that would identify somebody if, if they were breached in some way, um, the more information they have of their clients, you know, the more at risk they are from a liability standpoint. And then uh, from a first party standpoint, you know, it comes into play, what are they doing to protect their systems, uh, you know, from being corrupted, being hacked and that sort of stuff. So is any, are any of those particular PCI, PHI, PII more important in your eyes or more risky in your eyes' opinion, or are they just about equal? You know, from an underwriting perspective for the carriers, um, you know, I think it, it, it's all about the numbers and, and the number of records and, um, you know, what they, what those records are. So, you know, I, I can't say, you know, credit information is more valuable than health information versus other variable pieces of personal identifiable information. I think the fact that, you know, you have to be able to quantify it is, is more important than really what it is and understanding you know, how much of an exposure a given company has to individual records that do have value. Um, but to answer your question, I don't believe that there's a, uh, a specific, you know, difference between them. I mean, they're all valuable in the open market um, and therefore all capable of creating loss. Interesting. Uh, interesting to see how we have a different view of things. I mean, in my opinion, I would think PHI would be the most valuable, I mean, based on dark web. Uh, Prices. Yeah, Plus, I mean, my thinking would be the uh, that's one of, of those three. That's really the only one with actual regulations and fines. But, so it's interesting to see how we think. Yeah. Right. So it's um, it's it's, you know, it, it like I said, it kind of also goes back to the. In, of course, in, they're in, all very similar. Um, you know, I think some of the underwriting rules and methodologies are hard baked into the industry classification. So, you know, if we're writing cyber for a hospital management platform, you know, that's going to be already built in is probably some of the difference in pricing, you know, other than, you know, in terms of what's valued at on the dark web, if that makes sense. Um, so before we get into start answering some of the common cybersecurity insurance questions, uh, I want to take a moment to say that we are going to put together a worksheet um, for the listeners. Um, it's going to be a, a simple guide on choosing cyber insurance and different types and components. Um, so if you go to our website, cyberx.tech podcast, go to the latest episode, you can download, download that guide for free. Uh, in case you're driving or whatever, you, uh, you don't have to write it all down. You can get that on our website. So let's get into a couple of the common security questions that we get, if you guys don't mind. So first of all, what does cyber insurance you want to take care of? You want me to? Yeah, so that's a that's a tricky question. Um, you know, and, and I laugh because I get it a lot. And it's something that I've gotten a lot across the country. And it's because the industry, as I kind of alluded to earlier, has done a really poor job of educating customers. And the fact of the matter is, if you can bring me two different cyber policies, insurance policies from the same exact insurance company um, that were written totally different and have totally different coverages and, and you know, mechanisms, limits, deductibles, uh, what have you. So uh, the, I have to say there's an infinite way you can create cyber insurance policies. There's a couple of basics that we can get into, but I think it's really important to note that... Not, 
two cyber poli- not not any two cyber policies are created equal because they're so customizable to the individual customer's needs, which is actually I think a strength. Um, after you can educate, you can it's, it's a strength of the policy because there's something that might be really important to company A that might not be important to company B, and there's no reason that company A should have to pay for something that's important to company B. So um, I think it's something really fascinating with cyber insurance, which makes it a little bit unique in our space, specifically on the small business side of the of the of the spectrum. Typically speaking, small business insurance is usually more or less one fits all uh, methodology, and whereas cyber, even for small businesses, can be highly customizable. Um, that said, I think the over uh, the overall general theme of cyber insurance has basically two two and a half parts to it. Um, the main part of it is what we dream as third party coverage. Uh, which is basically your cyber liability. So company buys a cyber liability policy. There's a breach and they're held liable via, uh, you know, a suit, uh, a civil action uh, or, or a various other, you know, third party type allegation, uh, usually triggered by a lawsuit, though, for compensation, financial compensation for the injured party. So that's going to be your third-party liability coverage. The, the next part of the policies, which are totally optional, uh, typically not uh, required to be bought, is what we mean first-party coverages. So these are coverages that are designed to provide um, relief or, in, like in insurance terms, indemnification to uh, the policy holder themselves in the event of a breach. So um, instead of paying a third party, um, this is going to pay the customer who buys the policy themselves for you know forensic costs or you know other expenses that they suffer by virtue of the breach. Um, and then the the second and a half or the third part is something we refer to as cyber crime generally. Um, and this is going to be kind of a blended policy between. Uh, a first party and a pure crime policy, uh, which pays for situations where uh, the insured might be swindled out of money, or you know, there's some sort of fraud that happens that you know finances go um, out of the company. So those are the the three, two and a half, three main core parts of the of the cyber insurance policy. And, and, and you know, William, I mean, I'd be more than happy. You know, <laughs> you know I don't want to. By all means, product dump or anything. I think you know. I think the listeners probably can you know do a little bit of an investigation, you know, and, and figure out what can kind of go into each one of those core buckets. Um, but you know, if they have a good grasp on third party, first party, and cyber crime, they they know the probably eighty percent of the structure of a cyber crime policy. I mean, of a, a cyber policy. So, with all of the recent cybersecurity and privacy regulations coming out. Uh, for example, the New York Shields mm-hmm. Act um, last year, the South Carolina uh, Insurance Data Security Act, SCIDSA. Uh, we've got the new California Consumer Privacy Act coming out, uh, going to be enforced the first of 2020. Is that affecting cyber insurance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, regulatory proceedings. Um, oh, so you're referring to almost like the, the hacks of the government themselves. Is that what you're alluding to? No, no, no. So with all of these regulations, we see a lot more liability coming to organizations. So for the California Consumer Privacy Act, for example, um, if you have a data breach and you were not taking serious security measures, 
Um, you could face fines of up to $750 per record that's compromised. Yeah, so the regulatory uh, regulatory action is definitely considered uh, underneath the third-party um, coverage agreement usually. Um, you know, most states, and not to mention the federal government, all have, you know, different laws that could be triggered um, that, that, you know, customers could find, you know, coverage for underneath the third-party um, coverage grant of the cyber insurance. And, and and I think it's also important to note that the third party is probably the most, um, I'll say, say, the most well-known and established part of the cyber policy. There's not going to be many cyber policies out there that will have lacking, um, you know, lacking this part of the, uh, of the policy. It's, it's fairly uh, ubiquitous. But where, where cyber policies really start to differentiate themselves, it's, it's on the, the first party in the, in the crime perspective. And when we're talking about third-party um, risk or third-party insurance, what are some tips you guys would give an organization when they're looking um, to get third-party cyber insurance? Um, what, how would you tell them to get a ballpark range of what sum of insurance they need? Um, is there any any sort of standard way to calculate that based on what industry you're in, et cetera, how many records you have. In that yeah. Kind of I was about to say, I mean, I think because we get, we get clients asking us, Hey, they're saying I need this much. Do you think that's really legitimate? Or am I being swindled or what? Well, there's, there's definitely, um, you know, there's definitely a concept uh, known as being, you know, insurance poor, you know, in terms of, you know, you buy so much limit that you never, you don't ever need it. Um, I think cyber is one of the ones where, um, you know, <laughs> Having too much is definitely a possibility, but you know, in this day and age, I would rather err on the on the higher side. So when when firms are trying to obtain a baseline, I think they really need to sit down and understand, you know, how many individual pieces of, of data do they have that they're protecting in their system, or, or what they have behind their firewalls, or their employees have access to in their email inboxes that could be valuable on the on the web. Um, and, and then kind of taking uh, an approach of saying, you know, the average notification cost is roughly $250 per record. Like you mentioned there, the average, you know, regulatory proceeding can get up to $750 depending on the state that they're in. Um, you know, there's no real hard and fast, but there's a way you can, you can, you can spitball it, um, you know, using some of those numbers uh, that, that we, we just, we just discussed. Based on so would you suggest they use something like the Poneman Institute's um, annual cost of data rich research yeah. where they go through all each of the various industries? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely certain re uh, um, you know, resources out there. The, the, that one is one. Chubb Insurance provides a really great um, uh, tool called the Chubb Cyber Index uh, that's easily accessible. And, 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 you know, those tend to, I think, err heavily on the side of, of, of worst case scenario. Um, which, like I said earlier, is, is probably not a bad idea. Um, you know, I think based on Chubb's race, most recent data, and, and, I bring, and I bring up Chubb you know, for various reasons, but number one is they're the world's largest writer of cyber insurance. Uh, so therefore, they have immense amounts of claims data. But uh, some of the most recent research I have seen um, has shown that organizations underneath $25 million in revenue, depending on the class, um, like a mid to major breach, typically cost between $350,000 to $750,000 um, when it's all said and done. Um, so, and, and that's for, for fairly small businesses. And, and so I think usually the tools out there like the Chubb 
uh, cyber index would be a, a good one. And then also just really making sure they understand you know, what they have exposed and, and working with somebody like yourself, uh, William, in like a cybersecurity perspective to, to really understand where it is and how it's protected. Yeah, I mean, when we're helping an organization build a security program, that's our first step is a risk assessment. Um, we're like many of the opinion that your cybersecurity program, instead of being ad hoc, should be tailored to your risk and you should build your program around that. So yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'll just add too, we do have a, uh, a tool that we use with some of our clients, uh, just called a client risk digest, where we ask, you know, questions to try to gauge what their exposure is to some of uh, the perceived cyber risk. So like I'm looking at our risk digest now, uh, some of the questions are like, you know, does, does an insurer generate significant revenue over the web or would they suffer a significant loss of revenue if network operations are impaired? Um, you know, other questions, could the insured incur a cost for the forensic forensics associated with breach remediation? So we have about a uh, six, seven page document where we ask those types of questions to try to gauge what, uh, what really is the exposure and therefore, you know, who are some of the best insurance carriers that we go to, to, you know, construct a package to best cover um, at the best pricing uh, a policy that that's good for an organization. So, right. Which is very similar to when we do a risk assessment before we start building a security program. We're essentially going I think another aspect process. here too, guys, is, is, is right. when firms are really determining, you know, what their exposure and what type of limit they need to be considering. You know, they need to understand, you know, everything that goes into what, what a cyber insurance policy would pay if triggered. I mean, we're talking any, and then the big things are really easy. I mean, the regulatory actions, the, the, the notification expenses, those are, those are kind of like the hard costs that are re- more easily identified. But, you know, you start getting into the other things, like what about like the cost for forensics to, to have a team come in to, to, to reverse engineer what happened? I mean, what about the costs for if they have to hire a PR firm, you know, to, to notify clients and, 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 and get out ahead of a story if they, you know, if, if, the, if the news that if the leaks could damage the firm, um, you know, you, legal costs, you know, what are, the, what are the costs for retaining counsel? Um, and so those are all get kind of rolled into it too. So it's not just all about just the, the third party, the, the notification and, and regulatory. It's, it's all the other costs associated as well. And I'll add to that. One thing we see organizations not think of uh, sometimes is a lot of times after an incident like this, you might end up having to rebuild your entire infrastructure. Um, if you can't validate beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've got all traces of um, malware, or whatever removed off of your network, or even if you're in a regulated industry, um, something like HIPAA, for example, um, where you have to save that data should OCR come back. Sure, you can clone your hard drives, um, but a lot of times we see organizations make a mistake. They just wipe everything and start over. Um, that might not be the case. You might actually have to rebuild your infrastructure. Absolutely. Um, you know, and you know that really starts to, to pale in comparison to the $250 per record of, of notification costs that people automatically think about when they think about cyber insurance. Um, so sort of on the same topic, one of our questions we were going to ask, um, you might have already answered as much as you want. What are some things that people often think are part of their cyber insurance, but then they find out later it's not, but they should be aware of. Yeah, so I think cyber insurance is very clear uh, in terms of the triggers that cause it, um, that, that cause the policy to, to, to act. 
Um, you know, I think we've seen some situations in the past where people think, um, you know, their computer crashes because, I don't know, it's has uh, somebody spills water all over it or, you know, it, and all of a sudden they have a cyber claim. So uh, making under somebody understand that, you know, to trigger the policy, there's a very defined uh, sets of rules of what a cyber event is, and every policy is going to be somewhat different in that regard. Um, and in terms of you know what people think it covers versus what it doesn't cover, you know I think making sure they understand that you know, not all come not all cyber policies are going to be robust on the first party. You know not, not all cyber policies are going to include um, forensic investigation onto the machine. So um, we've seen claims before where. You know, there's a breach and, you know, the cyber policy responds as it should, but there's a $25,000 bill for computer forensics that the insured thought was covered, um, but they you know, opted not to buy that, you know, on the front end. So they're, they're on the hook for it. So, you know, making sure, you know, everybody understands that, number one, we, I answered a little earlier, not all cyber policies are the same. And number two, what is exactly in the cyber policy um, and understanding at the time of loss what will be and will not be covered. And William, another thing too is sometimes people think that traditional uh, business insurance will cover things that really fall under the cyber realm. So um, I've had a few instances where there's been, uh, we call it social engineering in, in our world. And I'm not sure if you refer to it as the same. Yeah, we where, call it the same thing. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah so social engineering. Testing, so yeah. Yeah. So when someone is, uh, tricked and they think that they're sending money to pay, you know, a, a legitimate invoice or vendor, but they're not. Um, and that money's gone. Well, traditional insurance is not going to cover that. That's, you know, that's really under the cyber cyber realms, a cyber policy where social engineering is endorsed. And so we ran into that at times, uh, organizations that deal with a lot of wire transfers or, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, computer uh, invoices or invoices that they need to pay that, you know, high volume of uh, transactions and stuff like that. That's a big exposure. And, and I don't think a lot of companies, or at least there's plenty of companies that don't understand that they need a cyber policy for that purpose. Yeah, I, I will say that social engineering and phishing is, that's an easy way into organization. Um, it's something to think about. Uh, when we do a social engineering tests, I mean, historically, we have a 100% success rate we can get into an organization. And once we get into one user's email, uh, I mean, we we, buy, we can easily bypass 2FA most of the time. Um, once we get in there, we can start pivoting and a lot yeah, of Yeah, and the, and the industry's really seen that. Um, social engineering has been something that, you know, being part of a coverage grant for cyber insurance really took off, I'd say, in the, the mid-teens you know, this this decade, I think it was kind of like around the 2013-14 where we started to see requests for the coverage um, and it kind of coincided with the rampant increase in the, the types of losses that we are seeing from a social engineering perspective. I think, you know, looking at claims data for the last decade, you know, social engineering over the last about three to four years is outpacing everything else, you know, individually, um, which is which is pretty impressive, um, you know, given the state of of where we are. I mean, from a security's perspective, I mean, when we're doing a penetration test, I mean, or hardware itself is getting a lot more secure. Um, for example, just Windows Defender alone by itself is a lot more secure than it used to be. And from an from an attacker's perspective, why go after why go after 
the firewall. Why try to break that when I can just target the people on yeah, and then, so you know, it's a, you know, it's a fishing expedition. So you cast a really wide net and you get one or two back and, you know, and, the, and you know, you're off to the races. Um, I think something really important to note here, too, um, you know, as the insurance policies have responded over the last two, three, four, five years, you know, it's great that those coverages are now being available. Um, but it's, you know, it's not going to be something that's automatically provided in a base cyber form. You know, it's, it's definitely something that's going to be more of a, um, you know, an upgrade, you know, and typical carriers will offer, you know, two, three, four different tiers of policies. And they'll say, well, this is just your base cyber, which just carries your third party. This, and then they'll kind of go up through the spectrum, you know, adding on the first party. And the social engineering is really kind of usually at the end, um, you know, in terms of being endorsed on or, you know, buying a more robust program. So uh, I think most customers, if they're, if they're you know, unsure, you know, if they have it or not, you know, most likely they don't have it because it's something that you typically have to actively ask for. And, and coverage and, and insurance carriers too are evolving. I remember just a couple of years ago where a lot of social engineering uh, coverage within policies in order for an insurance company to pay, to pay for a claim. If, if that event were to occur, they had a requirement that, uh, that you actually had to call to check to make sure it wasn't uh, or that it was a legitimate, um, you know, invoice that you're paying. Well, if you call to check, then the event wouldn't happen in the first place. So that's kind of filtered out over the past few years. But we still find it from time to time where an insurance company has that provision, that callback provision. And if so, we have to make sure we educate, you know, our clients to understand, uh, you know, there's a callback provision in here. So, um you know, we, we try to steer away and watch out for those loopholes or those holes that some insurance companies have in their policies and, and guide people in that process. So. And one other thing I'll kind of throw out there, too, um, which is kind of as we're discussing the evolution of the cyber policy. Um, you know, I think, you know, right, most carriers, uh, you know, most of the large cyber insurance writers do a phenomenal job of providing resources to their insurance pre and post hack um, or breach. Um you know, most policies would provide a, a number or a cyber incident response coach where, you know, an insured might be saying, look, you know, I'm not really sure if I've had an event or not. I don't know what to do. I'm kind of at a crossroads. Help. And, you know, and it's a number that they call to get a, an expert on the line immediately and, and walk them through the process. So um, and I think that's a feature that a lot of, of our insureds just don't take advantage of. Um, and, you know, I think as William, you probably attest, you know, when, when these breaches happen, typically... You know, it can be hours, days, weeks before that they're either A, realized and, and B, you know, reported. Um, and, shortening, and shortening that time span is, is a way to, to kind of curtail loss. Yeah, I mean, we agree with that. Um, our general philosophy around cybersecurity is you might as well go ahead and count that the attacker is in your network. So our security program is designed to detect and remediate that automatically and very quickly. So that's all of the questions, uh, the common questions we get that we wanted to ask you guys. Um, did you, you guys have any other thoughts you'd like to leave before we wrap it up? I appreciate the opportunity, uh, William, to, to come on here. Um, it's, it's something that Tim and I and the entire Main Street Agency uh, are very passionate about is educating our customers as much as we can, or our customers, potential customers, anybody who will honestly listen to us 
uh, in terms of the, the cyber insurance, what's out there. You know, it's a competitive product in terms of from a pricing perspective. Um, you know, it's not you know exorbitantly expensive, and, and the value is just amazing uh, if if you get partnered with uh, with the right company uh, to, to to design and, and build out a, a policy um, for 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 a firm. And you know, so many people are just you know either a you know willingly to to go blind and, and don't want to don't want to think about it, or b you know think it's you know that's for somebody else, that's not for me. And and the truth of the matter is, um, you know. It's for everybody, and I think in the next five to ten years, cyber insurance is going to be as ubiquitous as homeowners or property insurance. Um, and you know, getting getting out in front of it before something happens, um, it, it could be the difference between a business staying you know viable and, and not. So, uh, just getting out and, and and understanding what the what the landscape is and what's available from a from a risk transfer perspective is incredibly important to us. So I'm sort of just curious, quick question along those lines. Is there a statistic on organizations that have cyber insurance? What percentage of them end up using that insurance or some part of it over the I haven't seen anything, uh, you know, claims data surrounding, you know, you know, the percentages of companies that have used it. Um, you know, I would. I would think, yeah, I, I mean, I think cyber insurance has been around for you know, a couple of decades, certainly, but it hasn't really taken off in the mainstream, you know, until about, I'd say, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So, you know, the claims data is, is, is fairly rough and raw. Um, you know, I'm sure companies probably have that proprietary data somewhere scroll away. Uh, you know, from a desk and, you know, from an underwriting perspective, when I was on the carrier side, um, and from an underwriting manager side, who sold you know, hundreds, if not thousands, of these policies? I can say, you know, I have seen them in action. Um, we, you know, the carriers pay claims, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of claims every year. Um, you know, so they are utilized. Um, but in terms of you know how apt or what the you know the proportion of customers that utilize it, I'd have to do a little bit more digging on that. It's a good question. Though. Yeah, just, just a thought. Well, before we wrap up, if any of our listeners want to find out more about you guys or are interested in talking to you, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so we have a website you could hop on to, www.main, M-A-I-N, street, spelled out, I-N-S dot com. Uh, Michael and, and my uh, contact inf- information should be on there, but... Uh, you can also you know, look us up, call us anytime, email us. I'd be happy to answer questions. So. All right. Well, Michael and Tim, thank you very much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, William. Thank you, William. Appreciate your time. And that's the SMB Cybercast podcast. Thank you again for listening. Please check out our other white papers, roadmaps, and webcasts at www dot cyberx.tech slash resources and our blog at www.cyberx.tech slash blog. We have lots of guides and roadmaps to help you improve your cybersecurity program. Go check us out and we'll see you next episode.